Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. You know, this morning, it's a beautiful day out here in the DMV. The sun is up. Everything is shining. Everybody's on pins and needles trying to figure out who is going to be our next president. I think I already know. Uh, But today, we're going to talk to Mr. John Hosclaw, who's Executive Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at the National Cooperative Bank. And NCB has been the sponsor for this program for our seven years, the whole total seven years that we've been on. They've been a sponsor. John, good morning. How are you doing, sir? Good morning, Vernon. Good to be with you again. It's always a pleasure, sir. So we're going to talk about a subject that's becoming dear to my heart, DEI. Uh, What is that and what's your relationship to DEI? Well, uh, thank you, Vernon. A DEI uh, is a, I would say it's an emerging concept, but I think it's, it's, it's already a- arrived. A DEI, as an acronym, stands for uh, Diversity, uh, Equity, and Inclusion. And I think we all know what the words mean, but I think that in, in, the, in the context of the things that have happened in the world today, I think they are, they are starting to, to gain more importance. And I think that diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, now for many businesses is fast becoming more of a, a business uh, imperative. It's no longer a soft issue where you've got one person in HR that handles uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion topics. You, you, don't, you know, you're seeing more chief diversity officers. I think between the years of uh, 2015 and 2018, more than 63% of chief diversity officers were hired uh, by Fortune 500 companies and, and just that three-year period alone, which basically shows you the level of importance that Fortune 500 companies, business roundtable companies are more more or less uh, seeing. And so the way I like to put it, as the University of Michigan says, DEI is diversity is being invited to the party, equity is being allowed to add songs to the playlist, and inclusion is being allowed to dance. And so I think that's about the, the most simple way uh, to put it for a lot of folks who, who, who sometimes get caught up with the definitions, but not necessarily the concept. Well, I like that um, because it sounds like they're talking about black folk. We're going to go dance, huh? We're going to have some music and we're going to go dance. Okay. Okay. There you go. So, there you go. So, so what, uh, I don't know. 40 years ago, it was called affirmative action. Did this take the place of affirmative action? Uh, I think, I, I think while affirmative action uh, had its place uh, in this country, I, I think it was, how do I say this? It was more of a need or more of a, a desire to, to answer uh, some inequities uh, in emissions and, and jobs and some other pieces like that. But I think DEI now has far more attentionality. You know, there's more 
there's more purpose behind it. And I'm saying it wasn't before. I mean, I think IBM was the first comp- company to start uh, looking at this stuff in 1978 and in, in the early 80s when they, they uh, came up with these affinity groups or employee resource groups where you had black employees, you had uh, women's groups, you had LGBTQ groups all uh, within IBM. And I think it's just grown since then. And I think uh, with uh, the tragic loss of, of life for, from, from George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and Ahmaud Arbery, I think it's just risen even more so in, in purpose for all of these various companies. I mean, it, it's so it's fascinating. For years, the Business Roundtable always wrote in their annual report. They talked about their stockholders. They talked about things of that matter. But now, for the last two years, they've had statements about diversity, equity, inclusion. And now they're putting and making commitments to change with multi-billions of dollars dedicated to trying to combat racial inequalities in this country. And so I think you're seeing more and more of that. I know uh, for us at the at the National Cooperative Bank, you know, we, we, we've made our own uh, level of commitments that we plan to sustain. Uh, for example, we have a branch um, in uh, southwestern Ohio, and there's a community college there called uh, Southern States Community College, and we've established a minority excellence scholarship for students of color there. And I was surprised to hear, but also glad that we're involved. It is the first scholarship of its kind for students of color at Southern States Community College. And so uh, we're obviously very proud to to do that, but it's not something that we're just going to do one year. It's going to be sustained uh, over several years, as well as we've established two uh, historically black college uh, scholarships working with the United Negro College Fund as well as the Thurgood Marshall College Fund. And so, again, these are things that are just not one-off for us. I think these are these are things that we're going to be very committed to. You know, I, I applaud our CEO, Chuck Snyder, who I, who I know has been on the show several times. You know, we did not send out an external statement. We did not send out an external commitment to change. And I'm not knocking other organizations and or companies that chose to do that. I think that Chuck's intention was to keep it in the family. And I think uh, the email that he wrote to us internally really resonated with all of the staff. And I think it it also established his support and his commitment and and what our commitment would be um, as an organization. Because like I always tell people, NCB, like any individual that gets into this work, um, they go on a personal journey. And so NCB is going on its journey or it's on its journey uh, right now. So I'm, I'm really proud of the work that we're doing. Can obviously talk about it a, a little bit later. Uh, and I'm just uh, honored to, to work with the individuals that I work with within the bank, as well as um, have the support of our, of our senior leadership there uh, at NCB. So DEI, I, I like this diversity, equity, inclusion. Diversity is you're invited to the party. So it's a diverse party. Sometimes when I have gone to all white parties and I was the only person there, it didn't feel very good, okay, being the only one. So that diversity uh, needs more than just the one token, the the spook who sat by the door, I think, was the name of a movie back 50, (laughs) 60 years ago, okay? So then you're invited, that's the diversity, and then you have, you're able to, Pick a song. You're able to put on the song. You don't have to listen to all of the other cultures' songs. And you're also then included because you can dance. So I I like that as a – 
Mm-hmm. Everybody has an opportunity to dance. You can dance if you so choose. So you have that opportunity. So I like your, that makes it very clear, this DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, what, what it is. And so then you went on to talk about what, what the bank is doing and doing it internally, not making a big fuss about it uh, to the external world, but making sure you're doing it. And my sense when I walk around the bank, having been, like I said, seven years now, having having the bank support this, this radio program, I see it's included. Folks are included. There's all kinds of different folks there. It's not just from the majority culture, white culture. It's There's a lot of African Americans. I see Hispanics, lots and lots of women. I see some Asians every now and then. So I see that the diversity is a big part of who is hired and who's on staff there. How do you feel as an African American male working in the bank? Are you feel included? Can you dance? Well, that's a great question, and I want to just piggyback on what you said. I jokingly tell folks sometimes when I talk about the equity piece and I say, you know, who can contribute to the playlist, and I age myself sometimes because sometimes I'll go back to who can bring a CD or bring a cassette uh, tape because a lot of people don't necessarily understand what those are anymore. So, Well, okay, you just age you. I would bring the 8-track, okay, <laughs> or, or the 45 even, the 45. Yeah. I'll bring some I vinyl. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> okay, go ahead, go ahead. You know, listen, I tell you, listen, I um, – you know, my place in the organization is one, you know, I am, if not one of the first uh, or second um, black male senior vice presidents um, at the bank, um, which is something that I take as no, you know, no small order or, or responsibility. And then in March, um, I became an executive vice president uh, as a part of an executive leadership program there myself and, and two my uh, female colleagues were, were elevated to the EVP ranks. And, you know, I heard someone say one time when you're a, an employee of color uh, and, you, and, you, and you get promotions or you rise in the ranks, you become three things. You become a trailblazer, you become a spokesperson, and then you become a, uh, I can't think of the third, it's escaping me right now. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, but, but all that's true. And I think that as a black man working, you know, Number one in the financial services world, you know, I'm now a proud member of the Stonier Advisory Board. Stonier Graduate School of Banking is one of the, the preeminent banking um, programs in the country, run with the Wharton Leadership Leadership Team up there at UPenn. All said, my graduating class in 2017 I had 214 graduates. It had uh, five black graduates out of 214, and then five uh, graduates from from Africa. Uh, unsure about the Latinx number. That said, it, it it really bothered me. It bothered me that there were not more black bankers represented at Stony. And so I, I think I forged such a great relationship with the folks there at ABA, as well as uh, the, the person who leads the um, program, Perrette Bonner, who's amazing, that, that I guess they figured they put me on the advisory board so I could try to work internally to increase the diverse, the, the diverse, diverse. Diverse, diversity numbers. You know, that said, I, I think, NCB is a place where everyone is given the opportunity to grow and, and be supported. We, like any other organization, can always do our best to, to up some of the numbers and some of the senior leadership ranks, and I think some of those things are, are being worked out through our culture uh, process and whatnot. But I think that I don't take my responsibility lightly um, as a black uh, a male in, in senior leadership at the bank, um, I do know it's important. It's important to all people in, in the organization. And I feel like I've been giving 
every opportunity, just like all of my colleagues, to advance as well as uh, create opportunities for myself as long as I'm able to put the hard work in. And so now, you know, I want to see others prosper. I want to see others um, have the opportunity, Latinx, Asian-American, uh, other black employees at the bank. And I think that the every one at NCB program that we've established there is going to lay the foundation for that for a lot of individuals, as well as mixed with the culture sustainability work that we're doing. Um, I'm led by my colleague, uh, Patrick Canale, um at the bank. And so a long answer to a very short question, uh, Vernon, but um, uh, one that that uh, I'm proud to to, to, to walk in those shoes um, as uh, as that as that black banker or EVP at uh, at, at the National Cooperative Bank. So uh, thank you, John. Uh, we're getting ready to take our first break, and I, what what I'm hearing you say is that being in a bank, you've reached the senior vice president level. It sounds like it's a very comfortable place for you. You feel as if you are included and that your voice, you have voice in the bank to, to help things get along. You're a trailblazer, you're a spokesperson. And I would think that third thing is you're a consultant. You you have to talk to other people about what they can do inside the bank. We'll be right back. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and talk about why our co-ops so, so uh, able and ready to take on this DEI. What positions them? We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. Uh, information is power. WOL makes a great, great, great partner. And the National Co-op Bank and the, the folks here at uh, Everything Co-op are bringing you information about co-ops so that you can have power. You can have power, but you only get the power when you put it into action, like striking a match to gasoline. Gasoline has no power. It's stored power. It's when you put something to it. Uh, in an engine, it's in a spark plug, that little boom, that gets this power to move. Uh, so I want to talk about the power of co-ops now, John, and I have it. Let me make this hypothesis, that co-ops are better to handle DEI than the capitalistic business model, and that's the normal business model in the U.S., this is capitalistic model. So we have the cooperative model. And so it's a broad question, but why are co-ops better able to handle this DEI than perhaps other types of businesses? Great question. And I want to clarify one thing in a, in a previous section, I, session. I said that, you know, sometimes when you, when you reach positions like I have had an opportunity to, you become a trailblazer, you become a, a, a spokesperson. Uh, but what I didn't end up saying was you never asked for any of that. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. And, and, <laughs> okay. and, and just, the, just the point being that, you know, it's just where we are in the business world. When a person of color reaches that level, they never ask to be the trailblazer. They never ask to be the official spokesperson or whatnot. But again, those are the responsibilities and tasks that they they tend to take on. And it's it's, it's something that you know you can accept and move forward or or not. But it's something that I've accepted. If my colleagues see me in that light, and I just wanted to to put that last little piece there. So listen, from a co-op standpoint, I'm starting to see it a lot of trends across the country. I mean, obviously, my, listen, I love all seven principles, cooperative principles, and, and our, our board chair, Mari Smith, has talked about an eighth cooperative principle around diversity. But I think for me, my favorite of is and always will be concern for community um, because I really you know, do see myself as a, a community development finance person at heart. And so 
let's look at this from a. Uh, so you went uh, right to the seventh principle that concern for community is your numero uno. Is that what I'm hearing my, you say? That, that's my listen. I love I love the the open membership and 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 and, and, and democratic member control. That one person, one vote could, could not be more important in this country right now. You know, I'd probably say a second would be the economic participation in education. But but, but hear me out on this. I, I think okay. that right now, when you're talking about in this pandemic we're in now, that 41% of all black businesses are going to be shuttered. 27% of all Lat, uh, Latinx businesses are going to be shuttered. And 17% of all white uh, businesses are going to be um, shuttered. Obviously, there are some... Some, some 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 wide gaps there, and I think that, for example, worker-owned co-ops could help bridge that gap for cooperators of color. I feel like, from a financial uh, uh, inclusion standpoint, as we go through these tough economic times, credit unions, which are co-ops, uh, can, can can help serve these communities. I feel like, as we look at a at an eviction tsunami that's going to, that's going to be occurring here very soon where people are going to be evicted from their homes for 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 the lack of being able to pay their rent uh limited equity co-ops can be uh, a viable option to handle uh, uh you know those type of things and so i say all of these because i feel like you know more cities now san antonio houston major cities in the country are now hiring Chief Equity Officers, Chicago, San Antonio, Houston, and they're doing this because they want to ensure from a municipality level that, again, that, that, that there is equitable access for everyone in the community to business uh, guarantees, to, to housing, to transportation and whatnot. And so I think that, that that's a huge sign that there's a, a, an acknowledgement that there is a a gap somewhere and that and that the playing field is not level for a lot of people in some of these major cities and I said and so I've received a lot of calls in the last couple of weeks from major cities across the country who want to talk about limited equity co-ops they see what's happening in the black and brown communities in their uh, city and they are trying to figure out how can we provide affordable housing and home ownership for these individuals and so I think when you I think when you look at the cooperative principles, you can take every one and make a touch point to uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It, it's, it, it, I think out of all of the three, I think equity probably is the one that, 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 that doesn't get as much love as it should because I think, I think we get stuck on the, on the diversity piece and the inclusion. And I often say that uh, – it's, it's not my quote, so I can't take credit for it, but I always say that diversity is a reality – but inclusion is a choice. So, you know, I can't change the fact that I'm a black man in America, but there are others who would dictate my level of uh, inclusion into what I do, uh, what they do, and vice versa, letting people into my world as, as well. So, you know, I, I think that there are touch points for everyone. I think that someone, and I say this often, you cannot be trained on diversity, equity, and inclusion at, at NCB, we call any of our learning labs or or discussions. We call them discussion exercises because I feel very strongly that you can't train someone to be uh, an expert in diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's something that uh, takes time. Uh, it's a very slow process, and I always say that this kind of work is slow, intentional, and it's a marathon, and it's not a uh, it's not a race. I think sometimes people think when they attend one 
three-hour uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, discussion or exercise that when they leave there, they know all they need to know. But that's just the start. That's just the start of a, of a, of a, of a long journey. Um, I've been on my own journey since 2017 and, and still continue to learn something every day. That is great. So I just I want to go back and just make sure I got it that you you like this concern for community and that's your focus. And what I have it and I've learned since the it was Papa Sin uh, who uh, worked with NCBA uh, on that first month that we had our program. He said that uh, co-ops solve community problems. If there's no community problem, there's no need for a co-op. And in the DNA of a co-op is this concern for a community. And that's critical. And that's one of the reasons I believe, like you, that that's why co-ops are positioned to work with and solve this diversity, equity, and inclusion problem, this uh, problem that has uh, for 400 years has been a problem that uh, too often America doesn't want to address, and that is coming out of slavery and the racism that, uh, the death, you said the death of George Floyd, I want to call it the murder of, the lynching of, hanging of uh, George Floyd and where we all saw. Right, uh, but right. the eight principles of volunteer and open membership, democratic member control, you mentioned member economic participation, you put something in, you also get something out when there's a profit, and you have the say of how much you get out of that profit. Autonomy and independence, you have the say, you must have it. The reason I like co-ops first was education, training, and information. My mother was a school teacher. I taught for 12 years in my career. And I like the training that happens because it gives people the information that they need to make really informed decisions. And because co-ops are open, volunteer, and open membership, it's for everybody. And you don't have to have a college degree to get this training. I call it just-in-time training. And then cooperation among co-ops to build this ecosystem to really help each other out. And concern for community. Right. I got it. And I've never heard I like you put number seven first. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I, I, I just do. Because, you know, again, you know, I always tell people at the end of the day, my father had a similar saying, end of the day, no matter what I do, I just want to help people. And I think that that's where that concern comes from. I mean, listen, you can look at the, the country right now and see where we are. You know, I mean, if this election doesn't teach us anything it definitely teaches us it definitely teaches us that we are uh, divided you know one a good friend of mine who lives in Philadelphia who is just a, a great friend and I call him often and process um, a lot of these things he he said to me yesterday that you know this election is, is this election did not make a political statement but it made a value statement and I'm still processing that but it really did make a statement around the values of the country. Uh, and then he also gave me a great quote that his son said that people vote based on what affects them and not what offends them. And that's true. That's very true. People vote based on what affects them and not what offends them. And so I think for all these reasons, I think that just like you said, uh, Vernon, if you're a cooperator, you're in an ongoing uh, educational piece I think that DEI deserves the same level of of effort. I think that, um, you know, you can't read enough white papers. You can't read enough studies because, again, um, this thing is, is forever changing. And, and, and the, the day that we get to the place where we feel like we understand all things around diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think it's a day that uh, the term starts to be watered down. And I'll say this uh, before before the break is that, 
the two things that are not there and should be are uh, uh, belonging and uniqueness. And I think those are, are two, two, two components that are vastly underrepresented in a lot of this DEI work. It is. It, I, I like that belonging and uniqueness. So we're going to take our second break here, and it always comes real, really quick here. And when we come back, I know you uh, you were on a panel that the most recent NCBA's Impact Co-op Impact uh, Conference, and Monica Hughes Davies said, "If you are not intentionally inclusive, you will be unintentionally exclusive." So it's intentionally inclusive or unintentionally exclusive. I want to come back and talk about the things that you learned being on that panel what, about a month ago right now. We'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative. We talk about the cooperative business model uh, and the four sectors, the four cooperative sectors. Uh, National Cooperative Bank sponsors this program. Uh, NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for Americans' cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And today we have Mr. John Hoseclaw, who's the Senior Vice President of NCB, and we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, John, uh, you chaired this panel on diversity, equity, and inclusion, a town hall panel, and what were some of the things that you got out of it? Or I like that you had the videos because I couldn't watch everything. There was so much going on. That was my only problem with that workshop. If there's a problem, was there was so much education happening. But what were some of the things you took away from being on that panel? To foremost, I want to thank NCBA for allowing me to design that whole town hall as well as the panel. They really trusted me with that, and I did not take that for granted. Um, you know, co-op month is October. It was October. There was a big push around diversity, equity, and inclusion. The, the, the whole conference was themed around that. And so, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to have for all the virtual attendees a DEI town hall where where we basically, you know, Doug uh, O'Brien, who leads NCBA Clusa, made some opening remarks. Um, I kind of came in with a few myself. There's this incredible tool that we use internally at the bank called um, uh, Minty or Mintimeter, Minty.com. And it's really like a web-based polling soft software. But what I found in a lot of this work Vernon, is that, you know, obviously uh, talking about race and, and, and diversity and equity and inclusion sometimes can be a very complex issue. And so what Minty allows people to do is, um, uh, in an anonymous way, answer these questions that we put out there. And so we had three questions. You know, why is it so hard to talk about race, uh, racism or racial justice in this country? What motivates you to want to talk about these things? And what can the cooperative community do to advance DEI, um, because what you get are these very candid answers, and it can, it can be frustrating when you cut the Zoom camera back on, and then it's crickets because because of the complex nature of the um, discussion. And so that was the first part. The second part was we had uh, an amazing panel um, that I got the chance to co-moderate with Doug O'Brien. We had uh, Maurice Smith. Um, who is our uh, NTB's board chair and a CEO of local government, federal credit union, 
Monica Davy uh, uh, from NCUA, who heads their Office of Minority Women there, uh, as well as uh, Faye Tate, who runs uh, the Chief Diversity Officer at CoBank out in Colorado. And then last but not least, um, Gina Schaefer, who's a great cooperator who runs several Ace Hardwares around the, the D.C. area. And I think uh, Gina was a little hesitant because she said to me, you know, John, I'm not a DEI expert. And I said to her, that's exactly why we want you on the panel. I said, because you're trying to start a program. We, you know, I get tired of going to places and then all five of the panelists are experts. And then I walk out feeling <laughs> feeling worse than I did going in because of how much I don't know. But we wanted Gina to be there so she could talk about what her intentions were and what her plans were and what she wanted to do in the Ace Hardware. So to get to your question, what I learned is that no matter where you go, there's just so much commonality in a lot of these responses. I think people feel like, you know, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to insult anybody. I don't want uh, to get defensive. I, I, I don't I don't know what to say. Um, you know, they want to, to have these conversations, but they don't necessarily know what to say. And I always tell people, you know, you can learn in that discomfort. You know, I have a colleague, and he's probably tired of me telling this story, but he goes around the country in a pre-pandemic world and doing a lot of panels. And he said to me one day, he called me, and you could tell he was a little, not nervous, um, but just didn't know how to ask the question. And he said to me, you know, when I go out and do these panels and whatnot, is it okay for me to say communities of color or black and brown communities? And I just stopped for a moment. And while, Vernon, you and I might take that for granted, I just told him thank you. And he said, why? I said, thank you because you came to me to ask me that question. I'm sure there was some anxiety. You might have been a little nervous. I said, but you asked me the question. And it's positively, absolutely okay for you to say communities of color or black and brown communities. And I think because those questions aren't asked, we'll continue to go through this world and and be uncomfortable and not want to say the wrong things. And so that was an overwhelming thing for me, but not uncommon in a lot of this work that I do. But I also realized when I look at those individuals on that stage that there's already this incredible set of, of, of leaders in this space, you know, that were on that stage. We may not always have access to one. We may not always be able to call them. But I think that the cooperative community needs to tap in to its already existing resources uh, around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And hear me out, we need to start working to create the bench or the next set of leaders who right. have a greater understanding of these uh, topics. I mean, be it millennials, be it Generation Zs, uh, or whatnot, God bless us, but be it Generation Z, but we need to start educating younger, younger uh, cooperators about the importance of all of these topics who probably will see them uh, in a better light than we will because of, of just the generations and the way that they're coming up. I mean, I think uh, Chuck, our CEO, always talks about the most that he's learned about DEI is, you know, having his daughters in the back seat with their friends, with this whole diverse group of, of, of people as he's running them around somewhere, and you just hear the conversations. Again, they'll see things differently than we do. I just think that we just all need to take the first step, educate ourselves, ask the tough questions, and have the tough dis discussions. I mean, 
we don't have to always agree to disagree. I mean, always agree. Uh, we can always agree to disagree. Our, our DEI fellows, our fellows program, uh, at, at everyone at NCB and internally, we don't always see eye to eye, but we've created a brave space for all of us to have a conversation without judgment. And you can accept it or not accept it, but whatever we do, we're going to collectively agree to to solve or address a topic that uh, that uh, we're looking at. And I cannot say uh, in my 19 years of being in the NCB Enterprise how proud I am of working with these 11 individuals and our four advisors on this work. It's very fulfilling and, and very gratifying for me. And there's so much more to come from us on this. We're just getting started. So what are some of the things that you're doing in the bank? I know you talked about the scholarships in Ohio, but what are you things to do to make sure that, that you have diversity and you do? I, I, I can see that when I go to the bank. Uh, but people really feel like they can they can say they have the equity. They can say they can pick the songs, that, right. that their word means something that has value. And then uh, they can dance. They, they, they are included uh in all aspects of, of what happens inside the bank, whether that's deciding on who gets a loan or deciding what products happen or deciding where you're going to have your cookout or your, your whatever you're going to do for the, for the uh, community, for the bank and, and outside of business. Uh, how do you make sure all that happens? What are you doing? Well, I mean, Vernon, first of all, I think one of the biggest things that are, that's happening now in the DEI world, and I, and I learned this from a, Great doctor, uh, Dr. Cornetta, Cornetta Robertson, who's now at NC State, I mean, I'm sorry, Michigan State, uh, a great uh, organizational management um, uh, expert, who said that one of her biggest concerns is that a lot of these DEI programs now are lacking innovation. You know, folks set up their council, they have a couple trainings, then they set up their uh, employee resource groups, and so you start with low-hanging fruit. So you have the black group, then you have the women's group, and then the, they pat themselves on the back, and the rest is history. We wanted to be a little bit more innovative uh, and not have a council. So what we have is a fellowship program with 12 non-executive members from across the bank, you know, uh, um, from New York, our New York office, our Ohio office, as well as Virginia. Uh, and then, you know, Chuck really, our CEO, really wanted to give them some real teeth, wanted to give them the opportunity to make some of these uh, decisions. And, and what we did was, and what I what I love about our program is that we established uh, these advisors. And it's our CEO, our COO, our, our head of HR, and then another uh, senior executive who handles our culture. And so we did not intentionally put a CEO or a high uh, senior-level person in the, the the program because what it does is it changes the whole dynamic of the discussions, you know? I mean, it changes what people talk about or what they feel more comfortable to talk about. Obviously, we keep the advisors abreast of what's going on. We have joint meetings at times. And so the role that I play is that I lead the program, but I also serve my greater role is serving as a liaison between the advisors and uh, uh, the fellows. And so what we've done is we had our first DEI town hall at the bank following uh, you know, the murders um, um, of uh, Brianna and, and Mr. Floyd and, and, and Ahmad. We have had uh, two learning labs on bias. We've had an open discussion on, on many other DEI-related topics. And listen, we don't expect all 300-plus employees to be on 
every one of these Zoom calls or every one of these discussions. We're looking at developing small groups. We're looking at coming up with, you know, other opportunities for us to have these discussions. I always tell people, you know, having an international <laughs> an international potluck for diversity, equity, inclusion, in my mind, is not diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's just a potluck with food from all around the world because there's nothing that I'm going to learn uh, just from eating something from another country as opposed to me sitting down and having a conversation about you know, I mean, uh, one of our board chairs had me talk to his organization uh, some time ago, and the first thing he asked me was, what is it like to be a black man in America? And I told him, I told him what it was like. I told him how what it feels like. I, I, I told him that, you know, sometimes if if you're not black, okay, I ask people sometimes, how many times a day do you think about being white, right? And they may say, not often or I don't really know, and, but I'll tell them, I think about being black every minute of every day, every day. And maybe that's the construct as it's built. Maybe that's my own mentality, but it's something. And I say that not to make anyone feel bad about themselves or feel or get defensive or not what to say. In my mind, it's just an honest question. Uh, and I was so uh, thankful when, when our board member uh, asked me that question, and, and I was able to answer it. And, uh, you know, I have a 14-year-old son, man, and and uh, I saw a great thing that said, I you know, what is it, keep calm and carry on. You know, I saw something that said, I can't keep calm. You know, I have a black son. And so all these things go into the fabric of who we are as individuals. But I still feel like we've got to start having more and more of these discussions. The first thing I'll tell people is go online and find some of these glossaries and just read some of the terminology. Just read some of the, the DEI-related words uh, to, 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 to gain a greater understanding of, of, of what they mean. You know, But again, it's hard to get people to do that. Uh, I mean, you, know, you might get defensive while you're reading that. All said... There's a lot more work to do, and there's a lot more that we all need to do while we're on this journey moving forward. So it's awful hard to get anybody to understand being black in America, being black men in America, uh, race, racism, and racial justice. How do you how do you deal with all of that when every minute of every day, uh, whether you're driving, walking, <laughs> it doesn't make any difference if it's you're shopping and you see the the guard following you or you you get you concerned about getting pulled over by the police driving while black so all, all of this plays into the psyche of a human being and I, I i've just gotten close to uh john this intergenerational trauma and how that plays on you that you don't even know why you're feeling bad because of what happened to your mama your daddy your granddaddy your grandma oh, and all of that Huge. So we're going to come back. We're going to take our final break here. We'll be right back and talk about why it's so important to talk about REI and what's the benefits from a business standpoint. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. And John Host Claude Fourth IV uh, is our guest today. And John, 
I take it you you went to a uh, historically black college. Uh, that you said the smallest one um, no, no, in the U.S. No, <laughs> you're, you're joking, right? No, I went to, I yeah. went to the uh, largest uh, largest historical black college and university in the country right now, uh, North Carolina A and T State University. And I can't express to you how uh, sad. It was last uh, weekend because that was going to be uh, homecoming weekend, and we call our our uh, homecoming uh, Jiho, which means greatest homecoming on earth. And so you had a lot of lot of sad folks last weekend who were not in Greensboro uh, celebrating our, our homecoming. They are they are truly events uh, that benefit us as alumni, but they they also benefit the city of Greensboro, North Carolina, tremendously uh, from a from a financial standpoint. Uh, in one weekend, it can bring in between seventeen to twenty five million dollars to the city. So that said, we'll we'll circle October twenty twenty one on our calendars and, and and pray for a a vaccine and an end to to the uh, to the to pandemic so we can attend twenty twenty one geo. So. So October is your homecoming from, okay, that you go back to Greensboro. Yes, sir. And October is also co-op month. It is. Uh, October is the seventh, this past October is the seventh anniversary of this radio program. And it's my birth month, so October is huge for me. Oh, and, happy, happy, happy belated or happy belated birthday. Good yeah. And, um. I went to Bluefield State College, which is historically black college. Unfortunately, it's the whitest college in America now. It's 95% of the students are white. They took it over, literally took it over. And too often, whites will take whatever assets that we do get, or they don't want to see us with assets. And that's one of the problems with racism in America. But what we what we really want to talk about here is why is it so important? And, and let me let me set up with this way. I went to work out of, uh, when I got my MBA, I went to Cummings Engine Company in Indiana. So it's south of Indianapolis, right in the heart, cold country, Bible country, whatever you want to call it. And Cummings makes diesel engines, and I was the assistant to the president, and his name is Jim Henderson. Jim said, talking about affirmative action, it's good business sense. Just do it because... It makes sense, and I mean, you know, because it feels good, or you want to try to right wrongs in history. But you know, they had a plant in 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 uh, India. Uh, they had uh, you know doing work all around the world with all of these different cultures, and so affirmative actions for people, particularly African Americans at the time, made sense. But it's understanding the culture. So my question, out of Jim Henderson's words, the first time I heard this, this is seventy six. Mm-hmm. Was that affirmative action is good business sense? You can make you can it can come to the bottom line, sell more, make more profit by doing what's what's right and what makes sense. So, do you find the same kind of thing with DEI, or why do this other than righting wrongs, particularly in America? But I'll say this: out of all the components that go into this work, it, it probably for some people is the one that they struggle with the most, you know? And so I'll say, I'll say this to you, you know, you have some companies and I don't think this was it in our case. I mean, we went with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And one day I'm putting it out here. I like for it to be diversity, equity, belonging, and inclusion, you know, to add to that. But I think what happens is, you know, we say DEI as opposed to racial equity because, uh, not us per se, but people say that because it's more comfortable. 
it's not, you know, you say racial equity, it, it, it puts a different spin on it, number one. The other piece of it is when you start to look at companies who have these programs, they'll say, you know, well, what's the business tie into this? And where, where does the business piece of that? And so I'm not saying they hide behind the business aspect of it, but it's what they use to justify. And so I think in our case, especially with, with Chuck, I think our CEO was very adamant about that people from an individual, from an individuality standpoint, were able to, to understand these concepts. Now, don't get me wrong. When you look at all the research, folks who feel like they belong to a company produce higher returns. You know, uh, 85% of CEOs or organizations have a, a, a DEI strategy say that they have enhanced business. You know, by 2030, a majority of young workers will be more diverse, and, and they'll tell you that diversity and flexibility are key to their loyalty uh, to an organization. And so, you know, we're going to add a lot of those things uh, to our uh, strategic plan. I mean, one of the things that we're doing right now is that it's, it's going to be a big thing for us in 2021 is that we're going to look at our our vendor and our contractor list to see if we're working with minority women-owned, minority women-owned businesses for some of the work that we do at the bank. I just feel like it's important. Uh, Our senior leadership feels like it's important. And even if we don't necessarily go with the companies because maybe they may be higher or they may not offer the right set of of services that we're looking for, we at least want to explore. We at least want to ask. We at least want to be able to create these kind of lists and track the kind of folks that we're hiring. And so, you know, I say all that to say that while it is very important to make the business case, and I can see us in the next year or so, because we're in the process now of writing a new strategic plan, there will be a diversity, equity, and inclusion component of that that we will hold ourselves to as an organization, as senior leaders, as, as middle management leaders, uh, and everyone within the organization. But I selfishly will say that right now I'm more committed to my colleagues and their knowledge around DE and I, uh, the strategic plan and the business case will come. It's just, I think, in my mind, something that we're not leading with because we just want to let people know that this is an organization that you can have these kind of conversations and not be judged. This is the kind of organization that basically will show you the level of respect for whatever diversity or person you are and whatnot. And so I, I just think that we get so wrapped up in, in, in that, that business case, number one. And number two, and I think we talked about this some other time, you know, Dr. Kendi wrote this great book about how to be anti-racist. And, and, I, and, and as I start talking to more organizations about this stuff, the very first thing they say to me is that, John, you know, we want to be an anti-racist organization. And then I'll say to them, well, okay, well, anti-racism is over here. And what have you done to get there? And they'll say absolutely nothing. And I'll say, well, that's a pretty broad uh, gap between A and B. And I think that we all need to be careful of making those statements if you don't necessarily know what they mean. Dr. Kendi talks about either you're racist or you're anti-racist. There is no neutrality as it relates to to that topic. And so I, I just think that moving forward, um, we need to learn from our mistakes. We need to learn from our experiences because this is not something that's cookie cutter. You know, this is not something that one size fits all. You know, some organizations feel like if I take a group of people down to the National Museum of African American History and Culture or the Native American Museum or or, or the Holocaust Museum, um, that I'm I'm covered. 
I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. I've got all my DEI work, and uh, let's go on about our business of, of, of making money for our organization. And that's just not something that I think uh, we choose to do uh, at the National Cooperative Bank. Uh, I think we want to, again, be more intentional and be ready for the marathon and not necessarily the sprint. So, um, so, so I really I, I get it, and I'm going to push back a little bit. So I have it that another reason that I like cooperative model is because of the values of self-help, helping self, self-responsibility, taking responsibility and doing what needs to be done, democracy, one member, one vote, mm-hmm. equality, equity, and solidarity. But I like the ones of the ethical values of co-ops uh, that, that the traditional uh, cooperators believe in. That's honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for one another, or caring the, the golden rule. And I think in doing those things, in doing those things and having those values and putting those values in place, whether it shows up as diversity, equity, and inclusion, or that's just this is what we do, this is who we are, is better for business. So being an entrepreneur, I'm always looking for what's better for business, but I'm also like the idea of having these values really, really, really helps our society, uh, concern for communities, what you started off with, and it also helps uh, It helps the bottom line. I don't know how you measure it, but it really helps the bottom line because people feel better, like you said earlier, in coming to work and doing things and finding solutions. What do you think about that? Well, listen, and, and I'll, I'll push back and say that all the openness and all of this and all of that is great, except when it comes to t- talking about race, racism, racial justice. But but I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying, Vernon. I, I believe strongly that, you know, as cooperators, we have a commitment to want to talk about these um, topics um, because, again, they are intertwined in, in so many aspects of the, the cooperative principles. All that I will say uh, in closing is that I just implore my fellow cooperators to, to be intellectually curious about this topic, ask the tough question, acknowledge the fact that you are going to make mistakes. I say it all the time and that we do all have our own level of unconscious bias. Take us out by telling us, uh, do you like what you do? I, I love what I do, Vernon. Uh, I, I think that I work for an organization that is mission-based. Um, I work with a, a, a ton of great individuals. I think that, um, uh, you know, I'm a big believer, and I've learned this from my boss. You don't, you don't get what you don't ask for, but at the same time, if you come to work every day and you work hard and you add value, you'll, you'll prosper and, uh, and, you're, and be gratified in what you do. Thank you, buddy. It's a pleasure having you on. Always great talking to you. Everybody out there, uh, please live this week cooperatively, and we're all waiting to see who's going to be our next president. So live cooperatively and have a great week, and we'll see you next Thursday. Thanks, John. Thank you so much. 